Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And I am absolutely delighted to have on today's show Bill Garrett, founding president of the Atlanta Crystal Ray High School, and Rebecca Rogers Tijarino. Did I get that right, Rebecca? Perfectly. Great. CEO of The Intersect Group, a company that provides staffing um, and human resources solutions to CIOs and CFOs and CMOs in technology and financial services. And Bill, of course, serves uh, the community through educating uh, high school students um, that are mainly disadvantaged students, correct? Correct. Wonderful. So I'm delighted to have you on the show, and I'm sure that our, our listeners will enjoy it as well. So let's start off with you, Rebecca. Tell us a little bit about trends uh, in staffing that you think would be of interest to middle market CEOs. Today, the staffing industry is very strong. Most of the staffing industry, um, particularly in the segments that we serve in IT and finance and accounting, are up year over year. So the average um, for the largest firms is somewhere between 3 and 6% growth year over year. So we're in a strong market. Um, we continue to see signs of growth. So economic indicators are are in good shape. So the consumer index is strong in July and all the other indicators are up. So we expect that we're going to finish strong this year and have continued growth in 2017. One question I have for you, Rebecca, what kinds of or what level of positions do you usually staff for? It's a great question. So we staff everything that you can think of in IT and finance and accounting. So in a finance and accounting environment, anything from an accounts payable clerk all the way up to the CFO as well as supporting organizations um, to the CFO, such as analysts and and others. Same thing with IT. So we have clients that are CIOs that we actively sometimes replace, all the way um, from a developer, business analyst, project managers, solution architects. One of the things that's been a a lot in the press lately, um, as our listeners who've probably been following both conventions over the past few weeks probably are aware of, is this, this... discontent that seems to exist. And being in staffing, you would be maybe on the front lines. Why are, let's say, you know, not necessarily your CIOs, but the other folks who may not be at such a high level, so discontent with the state of the economy when you just said that the economy seems to be growing and doing pretty well? Yeah, we we tend to really staff professional services folks. So um, in that segment, we're seeing both not only income rise, but the number of jobs rise. Mm. So as an example, the IT growth um, has increased 3.7% year over year for IT jobs in America. We've got 5.1 million jobs in America just in the IT sector. So it continues to remain strong. We don't feel that that type of feedback from our constituents or our associates that are um, candidates and or colleagues of ours. Um, mostly in that segment, they're experiencing incredible growth and they have opportunities constantly presented to them. So the challenge for employers and middle market CEOs is really figuring out how they attract that talent to their organization because they are in such high demand. What's your expectation, Rebecca, for how long you think the good times are going to last? I think we're going to see strength all the way through 2017. And 2018, for me, is still a little bit questionable. Um, Our cycle generally lasts seven years. We're way into that cycle. I think the cycle will be longer than what we've traditionally seen. Um, From a buying perspective, um, we see, we think that we're right about in the middle of the market. And the reason we we say that is because traditionally coming out of a recession, people add contingent labor 
then they begin to get more confident and they start to add actual colleagues onto their permanent payroll. And we're still seeing growth in permanent payroll as well as contract at this point. So we're not seeing any contraction. um, And we don't anticipate that from what our clients are telling us today. In fact, all of our clients, um, we, we regularly ask for projections about their talent requirements over the next year or so. And we're getting very strong response from, from those folks telling us that, indeed, they're going to have to continue to staff because their demand is high. Mm. And for the benefit of our listeners, just to recap, your expectation is that the market will remain strong through, let's say, 2017, maybe down into 2018. And then in the latter part of 2018, we might, might see some changes or see the, the market begin to tip. That's what I'm expecting. Great. Now, Bill, different, completely different industry. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in, in education. Well, thank you for uh, inviting us to be on the show today. That's great we're, to have we're, you. We're, we're, we're pleased. Uh, education has gone through some interesting times in, uh, in Atlanta and as well as around the country. And what we're trying to do with Crystal Ray is to figure out how to make sure that our students become effective employees when they get into the workplace. And so in order to make that transition from school to work, one of the things we've done is instituted a program, a corporate work-study program, where our students actually go to work for about 40 days a year. They work full-time, one day a week, uh, at a a place of employment, and they do that for all four years of their high school experience. And so when they graduate from high school, not only do they have a solid education background, but they also have work experience in some of Atlanta's finest companies. What are they typically doing, and how old are the students that that are Crystal Ray? So we're a high school, and so the students come in at age 14, and many of them are 18 or 19 when they graduate. And, and what they do in the, in the corporate environment is basically whatever the company needs them to do, but it's predominantly entry-level skills. So they do copying, filing, data entry, uh, receptionist, mailroom, that kind of, kind of services for the company. Mm. So I imagine, as we mentioned at the, out of, uh, at the outset of the show, that most of the students that were at Crystal Ray or all of them come from, you said, free and reduced lunch. So these are students that are typically economically disadvantaged. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Rebecca. Tell, tell us a little bit about why, whether or not you're seeing some of the discontent that's been in the press a lot. And if you want to give us uh, any perspective on, on why, why you're seeing that discontent. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and first of all, yes, our students are uh, economically disadvantaged. The average family income is $30,500 mm-hmm. for a family of four. So that's pretty low income. Right. Um, one, one of the things that's been very gratifying for me is when our students go into the workplace, one of the things that the employers are telling us is that a lot of their workers are, are struggling to find meaning in their job. Mm. Some, of the, some of the employees, particularly the younger employees, want to work for a company that's doing good by the community, giving back, making a difference in their community. Well, a lot of companies are doing good things in the community, but the employees don't personally get to see it. With Crystal Ray, you actually do get a chance to see it because the student is in the workplace every day during the week. We actually have a team of four students that job share at a company. And so every day the company gets one of our students coming in to work at the uh, place of employment. The employees get a chance to engage and interact with our students. And they realize, the employees do, they realize the difference that they're making in the lives of our students and helping them get the leg up that they need to succeed in college and life. 
and the employees feel good about what the company is doing. Mm. So it's not just meaningless work. Exactly. exactly. Not, not either for your student or for the employees at the company that, that, the, that the student is working for. Very much so, yes. Great. And I imagine that also ties into what you and, how you and Rebecca work together because Intersect Group... Rebecca's company is a supporter of Crystal Ray, right? Correct. We're, we're thrilled that the uh, Intersect Group is, is going to be one of our, our sponsors next year. They'll be joining uh, 90 other companies uh, next year, ne- this, this school year that's about to start, and providing a job, a, a team of four students will be working at Intersect Group uh, beginning in September and, and be doing great work for that company. And hopefully uh, their employees will feel the same way about our students as most of the other employees do in the in the uh, Atlanta marketplace. Mm. So what are some of the changes that you're seeing in in education over you mentioned that education is changing a lot. What are some of the changes that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean education is completely different than than certainly when I was going to school uh, mm. uh so many years ago, but you know textbooks are hardly hardly exist anymore. Uh, you you may have a, a a textbook or two in the classrooms, but now everything's done digitally. And so the, you're not carrying around these backpacks that weigh 50 pounds. Uh, they have their Chromebooks and they have everything is, is uh, geared to the, to the technology uh, that, that exists today. We also have ways to test our students and to figure out whether or not they know the material mm-hmm. without actually giving them a test. We can just see what they're doing on their Chromebooks, whether wow. or not they're, they're using it, whether or not they're getting the problems correctly. So it's, it's much more of a, dy- a dynamic uh, education experience. You don't have to wait for a particular test. We can go in anytime, take a look at what the students are doing on their, on their Chromebooks and find out what they know and what they don't know or what they're doing and what they're avoiding. Bill, one question I've always had about education in Atlanta. My understanding is the Atlanta education system is not underfunded. Right. Like there is enough money in the system, but yet education in Atlanta, education and transportation are the two biggest issues that Atlanta and Georgia face. Mm -hmm. Why can Atlanta not seem to get the education thing right? It's not like we don't have the the talent here. The money is being invested. What is wrong from your perspective with education in Atlanta? One of the challenges you have with education is it's a big system, uh, particularly the the public school systems are, are, are very large. They're entrenched with a lot of uh, history and tradition at what, in terms of what's happening with employment in those uh, institutions. A lot of times you build up layers of management and those layers of management may have been useful at one point in time, but they're less needed now that we have technology that allows you to, to buy, bypass a lot of the layers of management that exist. But making those necessary changes are, is difficult to do given the history uh, sometimes unionization, sometimes just uh, his- history of what's happened in employment in different organizations. Hmm. Rebecca, you wanted to weigh in. Well, I think one of the things that I mentioned is that we provide professional services folks, you know, very highly skilled folks. And so when we have the students from Crystal Ray come in, um, we know that 42% of employers say that when kids graduate from college, they're not really ready to work. And what I love about the Crystal Ray program is our goal through many programs in our organization and our volunteerism is to help people become ready to fill roles for our clients in STEM. At Krista Ray, when those children come into our environment, we're actually going to be giving them a full cycle business experience. They rotate through every function within our organization, and they're going to learn exactly how a business operates. And um, in our in our environment, they're going to do other things than 
than filing. And I think that helping them become job ready and enticing them into um, degrees and, and opportunities for their career that are beyond the traditional that they may be able to view in their own home environment allows us an opportunity to build a better community. So when we think about what's what's wrong with the education system here, having that balance between business and education and having children have a real hands-on experience so they get excited about what their future could be is just real. And we're finding that not only are we excited to participate in that program, but our employees cannot, our colleagues at our office cannot wait to have this. We've got more volunteers than we need to participate in the education of these folks. So they're going to actually, the students will actually rotate through uh-huh. all of the various functions. We're putting together an entire year of curriculum for them. And we're really excited um, to see how the students respond. It'll be, it'll be great. So, but I, I want to go back to a thread of the conversation at the, at the beginning. So we were talking a little bit about uh, Intersect Group as a staffing company and you being on the tip of recessionary you know, activity or seeing when it's going to tip. For you as a CEO, not as a service provider, but as a CEO, how do you think about dealing with recessionary periods? Because staffing companies are kind of the first to get hit right. when the economy starts to change. So a couple of things. One is I make sure that we invest in technology improvements early in the cycle. So the minute the cycle starts to come out, I take all of my capital expenditures that I know I'm going to need in order to live and live through that cycle optimally, meaning really um, have the return on investment of my investments early in that cycle. So right after the cycle, we made huge investments in technology, as an example, to make our environment very efficient. Now we're capitalizing on that investment while we've got growth in the industry. As we begin to mature Mm -hmm. in the cycle, I create more variability in my cost structure, right? So I'm not going to invest in any resources, whether they be um, hard resources or people resources that I don't think are going to have a return on investment before that cycle ends, right? So I I know, okay, if it's going to be 2018 and I'm going to invest in human tech human resources now, I've got to make sure that their ramp to productivity is within the next three to six months in order to optimize that return on my investment. Because I know I'm going to go through a down cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, by 2019 is most likely when the down cycle will come. So I make sure we're, we're really looking at the variable expenses and ensuring that we have a good balance and that we become more variable the closer we get to the end of the cycle. And for the benefit of our listeners... Tell us about how you manage the timing, because it's all about timing. Mm-hmm. And for most CEOs, especially in the middle market, that timing thing is tricky. Most people don't really take action until it's probably a little bit too late. That's right. It's all about anticipation. So I think one of the things that CEOs can do is just become very aware of all of the written material online that's available to you. Um, that gives you economic forecasting information and early indicators. So we know that um, as inventories begin to grow, particularly in manufacturing, we know that's an early indicator, right? Mm-hmm. When when there's a slowdown in the buying activity. So being aware of what's happening, not only here in the U.S., but globally, particularly if you're a firm that is supporting the distribution of services or products um, internationally, you really need to be aware of what's happening from a global perspective and anticipate you know, what's coming. That for us has been really the key to success. The other thing that we'll do is during an economic downturn, we're very fortunate that we're um, a firm that has the ability during a downturn to really invest in great talent. 
our company is fueled by the talent that we have, not only our colleagues, but our candidates. So during a downturn, we do the opposite of what our competition does. We actually go out and recruit the very best talent that we can find in the market because everyone else is shedding it. Right. So planning for the downturn, not only in anticipating it, but thinking about what do I want to take advantage of during that downturn? What would I buy? What would I do differently? Um, sometimes capital investments are less expensive during the downturn. So if you if you plan for that accordingly, you can really come out of, this, of the next recession in a better position than when you went in. All right. Two questions. Sure. So inventory levels, what are some of the other things that you look at? And like when you're looking at them, how far out? Like so, we, you know, like how far out are you looking mm-hmm. when you see inventory um, levels change, how close do you know that the recession is coming? Is that a clear? Do you understand the question? I do. Um, it's, it's really, uh, we're fortunate because we engage with so many different types of businesses that we have a view toward the retail market, healthcare market, technology markets. And so we look at different things. And what mm. I generally do is look at an aggregate of what I'm hearing, uh. right? So generally when inventory starts to build, It takes time for people, less time than it used to, by the way, because supply chain has gotten so sophisticated. Um, People generally are more just in time with their productivity than they were years ago, their production. Now we see at a three-month period of time, things are starting to build over three months inventories. We know that they're going to start to reduce their capacity to produce by month four, generally. Mm. Um, And and it's getting better and shorter every every single recession, right? Mm. Because... Technology is allowing us to just do things faster. Yeah, and analyze information. I mean, yeah. that's one of the leading, the, the things that have changed, right? Everybody's concerned about data analytics and transformational um, analysis of that information so that they can shorten their their lead times to make decisions. Mm. Um, so inventories are one of them. The other thing that we look at is, are people investing in new technology? We know that during a recession, um, there's a pent-up requirement for improvements. And, and we saw this actually in just prior to t- the year 2000, people did a tremendous amount of investment in technology and, and changed legacy systems. Well, then going into 2007, 2008, people postponed any additional improvements in their technology because they couldn't afford to do anymore. So what we're seeing now are legacy systems that in some cases in in area businesses, they may be 15 years old. They're, they actually missed one upgrade and now they're into two or three upgrades old. All of that's being replaced right now. When we see that deferred investment coming out of the recession, all that investment starts to happen. And as it begins to mature and people start to, you know, kind of pull back on the reins on their investments again, we anticipate that after that initial boom, there's going to be continued enhancements. But when that starts to slow, we know that, you know, what the opportunities for continued growth are going to start to contract. Hmm. So other than inventory levels, uh, mm-hmm. you said you look across industries. Any other things that you're, you're looking at that'll let you know the direction of the economy? Yeah. We'll look at consumer, consumer spending okay. and consumer confidence. You know that a lot of our markets are very retail driven. And um, when we start to see that there's starting to be a little bit of spiking up and down in consumer confidence, that will generally tell us that our retailers and, our, and, and those that support them are going to start to get a little bit more conservative in their investments and resources. Great. And Bill, you also have the, a purview into different industries as well because you place, you place labor students into, into a bunch of these different companies. Mm-hmm. How do you think about recessionary periods and 
let's say that 2018, 2019 is, is the next recession. How are you thinking about that potential trend? Well, one of the realities of the Crystal Ray School here in Atlanta is that we're still growing. So we, we started with the freshman class, added a freshman class each year. And so now we have three grades, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. Next year, we'll have all four grades. And so for us, we have to get more jobs every year. So we are praying hard that the economy stays strong for all four years of our growth, because by the time we're finished and we we fill out our school, we'll have about 125, 130 corporate sponsors. And so, but we do recognize that, as Rebecca said, it's inevitable that there's going to be a recession, uh, and and we're, we're we're long into the cycle already. So we're hoping it's going to be a few more years out to to allow us to stabilize our workforce. But what we're doing is a few things. Number one is we're making sure that we're diversified. We, we don't want to have a, a ton of jobs in one particular company. We want to make sure we have a diversified base of support, both in terms of the number of companies and, and having a diversity of industries that are supporting us here in Atlanta. And frankly, the Atlanta market is good for that. We're not predominantly one segment, uh, as there are some other crystal rays across the country. But the second thing we're doing is we're trying to what we call recession-proof the job. We don't want to, a lot of the companies are doing this partnership with us uh, in a large measure because of philanthropy and in, in terms of making a difference in the community. And that's certainly a motivation that will always be there and is always important. But in, during the recession time, we need to make sure that our students are actually adding value to the company. And so there are things that you can do, things that we can do to make sure that the company is getting economic value for the contribution they're making with our students. Great. Question for both of you. So listeners, we actually conducted a survey where we asked CEOs, many of the CEOs that have been on the show, as experts for the issues that are burning for them. Like, what do they think about every day? What do they consider mission critical? Geopolitical events and uh, whether or not the economy is going to go into a recession was actually one of the things that was kind of a low priority. They don't think about it that often. And I also didn't consider it, or a very small minority of the respondents considered it to be mission critical. Um, and yet we know that changes in the, the macro economy are one of the biggest factors that drive whether or not a company is going to grow in a particular year or be successful. Would you kind of wax on why you think, I'm still processing that. We did the survey just this week. Why would only a small minority of the respondents actually think that that it's that important, even though we kind of know that it, we can't grow an economy or it's very, very difficult to grow in an economy that's shrinking. I'll actually toss that question out to both of you. Rebecca, you want to take it? Can you share with me before I answer the question? Yeah. Because I do have a few thoughts. Um, the average size of the respondent in the firm that they run in so revenue. So it was five, they're five million to let's say 50 million in revenue. Okay. So one of my first responses to that um, would be, that I think when you're when you're leading a company of that size, you're incredibly optimistic. You have to be to survive, right? <laughs> so, so the optimism is about the fact that I'm going to provide services or products that are better than my competition, and therefore that's what I'm most concerned about every day. I'm not thinking about the recession because I I think that what I do is so phenomenal, and what my team does is so phenomenal that I'm going to be able to you know power through that. That's the first thing. I think that's the near term, and that's true for most of them, right? That's right. how they're they're succeeding. A lot right. of them are on the Inc. 500, Inc. 5000. So, Absolutely, yeah. My my firm included, and one and one of the things that 
you also consider is that even during a recession, I'm going to take market share from everyone else, right? So you're not as concerned when you're that size about the recession. Um, And your growth rates at that size, year over year over year as a percentage, are generally huge, right? It's when you get larger that your growth rate is 3%, 5%. It gets more challenging. So any downturn really affects your top line um, when you're where you're a very large organization. So when you're in that that smaller end of the the you know the spectrum, you tend to be very optimistic. You think about what I have to do to beat my local competition um, or my national competition, depending upon your, your service. Um, and you're less concerned about the economics. My challenge to that would be um, for my peer CEOs out there, is a little bit around your availability of capital. When you, as you go into a recession, recession, of course, diminishes. So think about what your capital needs are going to be and plan for that well. Um, additionally, your resource needs, meaning your human resources, um, really important because the variability of your cost structure allows you to continue with your profitability, particularly if, frankly, it's more of a lifestyle business or a lifestyle business for your, your closely held organization, potentially. So that becomes really important as you anticipate the downturn. Hmm. What about you, Bill? What, what You want to wax poetic on why they wouldn't, the, the you know, CEOs in this size wouldn't care about the recession or geopolitical events? Well, I, I think part of it is the makeup of, of these, these type of CEOs. They really have to be focused on achieving effective results. Mm-hmm. And so they get focused on the things that they have control over. They don't have control over the macro economy. It's just, it's just outside of their control. And so they... Most, most of these CEOs are, are, are entrepreneurial. They're, they're quick on their feet. They can react well. They have enough confidence in themselves and in their business that they can uh, adjust as the economic conditions changed, change. But frankly, they don't have any control over what's happening at the macro level. So they're going to focus on the things that they have control over. Right. I think the other, the other thing that is is, is makes a medium-sized business like that a little bit vulnerable is the mix. As you had talked about, Bill, even with the school, you're making sure you have a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, what we tend to see in that, that smaller organization is if they're not paying attention to their mix going into the recession, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have one huge client that's really spurring your growth. And if that client is the victim of a recession or a downturn or a global change in um, consumer sentiment, then you're, you're really challenged. So keeping that mix and anticipating it is important. Right. So just mm-hmm. to close out the segment on, on, on trends, for the benefit of the folks who are listening to the show, I heard a few key takeaways. First, start paying attention to inventory, consumer confidence, consumer spending, right, Rebecca? Yes. About, I heard six months or so, uh, every six months kind of look at it because the cycles or the, the response time is getting shorter. Right. Great. And then also uh, make sure that your capital, your capital is in good shape before going and, you know, if you're anticipating recession. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Great. Well, thank you very much for that discussion on trends. And so now I want to turn the conversation a little bit more to your relationship and working with each other. Tell us, Rebecca, why you decided to have Christo Ray on the show with you when we called. That's a great question. I because um, you could have had anybody, right? We, we yeah, we say you can bring a colleague, you can bring you know a yeah. client, and you chose you chose Bill. I did. <laughs> My team and I are very concerned about the education of our young people, um, both in high school and coming out of the universities, and making sure that we're encouraging education, particularly in STEM related 
um, studies because that's what we provide to our clients. But we see consistent, consistent challenges from our clients, the business community in Atlanta and elsewhere that say, there's just not enough talent for me. So we feel it's part of our core responsibility to help the community in that area. Um, we also have a very active volunteer group. Crystal Ray is, is one of the organizations that we're involved with. But most recently, I met with Bill's team and um, my team and, and his team are meeting and they said, oh my goodness, we've got this really great problem. Um, we have more students this year than we anticipated and we're going to need some more um, great businesses to sponsor us. And I felt it was sort of opportunistic, frankly, that being on the show and allowing Bill a platform to talk about Crystal Ray and our partnership may encourage five, six, seven other businesses here in the Atlanta market um, to support Crystal Ray. It, it not only is about um, supporting Crystal Ray, but as Bill mentioned, these students are actively working in your environment. My conversation with his team is that um, filing's great. Filing needs to be done. In fact, <laughs> I don't, I haven't, we don't really file anything anymore because everything's electronic. But I feel these students are really great students. I mean, they're bright, they're committed. Um, they go through a rigorous um, admissions process. Um, these kids are capable of doing great things. So we're actually going to put them to work. They're going to be productive folks. They're going to be nurturing candidates that we have in the market. They're going to be doing searches for us. They're going to be conducting research for us. Um, I'm really excited about having them participate in a really meaningful way to my business. So when you asked me to be on the show, I thought, you know what? I, I just think this is an opportunity for Bill to talk about Krista Ray with an audience of those people that could sponsor the school. And that's why I chose Bill. Great. And th the one thing that CEOs uh, said in the survey is that they think about how to grow their business every day and how to be more profitable. So Tell us a little bit about the actual return on investment or the ROI of having these these uh, students work work at the Intersect Group for yeah. people who might be listening and thinking, okay, can I? What you know, this is all great, but what am I going to get out of it's, it? It's very affordable. So, can I share sure. how affordable sure. it is? Okay, it's a thirty thousand dollar commitment for an entire school year. That's it. It's thirty thousand dollars. If you're going to go and employ somebody in an entry level role in your organization, first of all, it's very difficult always to find employees in that range that qualify for your roles, that are as committed as this group of folks. These students are transported to your organization every single day, so you don't have to worry about transportation. Um, they come every single day. If they miss a day of work, they have to make it up. They're very willing to learn, and so when we think about having somebody consistently come in for a year and participate, we feel that the return on investment is huge not only from the work that they do. But the other thing that's true for us is we have a very robust colleague population within our environment who are, our purpose for succeeding as an, or, or for being as an organization, our mantra is to succeed by serving. And they truly believe that. My employees believe that. For them, we participate not only with Crystal Ray, but many other organizations they, as Bill had mentioned before, really, when they can be hands-on with some of the things that we're involved in, it helps um, really cement them to our organization and to believe in our mission and our vision for our company and to breed a culture that is very healthy. Um, and for me, anything that helps my colleagues feel that we're living and breathing our culture helps me keep my colleague population and retain them and grow them over time. So for me, it's not just about the work that the students do and the, the productivity there, but our ability to attract 
develop and retain our own colleagues, I feel that this bridges um, that perfectly and allows us um, the opportunity to live what we say we're going to do. How, uh, so one question I have, there are all these uh, mission statements and platitudes Mm -hmm. about integrity and service and all these great things. So this is an opportunity for you to really walk your talk in, Mm -hmm. in your mission what are some other ways as, because culture is critical, as many of our listeners know, in building their organizations. What are some other ways that you can walk your talk around the service and the mission of the Intersect Group? We walk our talk as well with um, Georgia State as an example. We support their PACE, which is they have students that are in their later end of their college experience. Um, they form diverse teams of five. And they actually work within an organization on a project. We do that as well. Barry Wood is the, is the leader there of the PACE program at Georgia State. Um, we have a community of colleagues that are responsible and meet regularly every two weeks around our social responsibility. And they actually, we give them money and we say, okay, here's your pool of money for the year. Wow. Figure out what you guys want to do and what you think aligns to our corporate culture, but as well, what aligns to what you all think as a community of colleagues, you want to invest your time and resources in. So, so we do that. Um, we just have a tremendous amount of other activities that the teams, they volunteer, they're working in the community. But what we do and what we think is really important is allowing our colleagues not only to participate, but to determine how we participate and where we participate. It just makes for a much more invested colleague, frankly. Mm. Bill, from your end, what are you looking for in a sponsor? Not just the, the financial commitment, but it's a big deal for to, to a company to shepherd and to steward the life of these students for the course of a year or maybe even four years if they're continuing over the course of their entire high school career. What do you look for when you're looking for a positive, healthy culture like the one that Rebecca is describing? Yeah, the, the corporate work study is a critical part of our education experience for our students. And frankly, we're the only school in, in, in uh, Georgia that, that has this type of, type of program. And there's a lot of learning that takes place in the classroom that's great and wonderful and critically important. But frankly, what takes in the workplace, you cannot replicate in the classroom. That's absolutely true. And so we want folks that, uh, that appreciate that reality and want to work with our students and want to give them that leg up that they otherwise might not have. And so we want somebody who has a great culture like, like the Intersect Group and says, okay, we have employees that really want to make a difference and they're going to invest some of their time and energy to make sure that your students have a great experience. A lot of times what happens is people within the companies become mentors to our students, whether formally or informally, and they talk to them about colleges, they talk to them about their experiences of going to college, because frankly, many of our students come from families where nobody's ever gone to college. And so having that opportunity to interact with somebody over the course of a year, it's not just a one-time event, but over the course of the year to get an experience of what college is like, is really makes a difference in in our students. And so that's the kind of company we're looking for. Companies that have the culture that, that Rebecca has talked about and really do want to make a difference in our community and particularly with our students. So how do you go about creating a great culture? Because you're not just a school, you're also a CEO too, and you you worked at St. Joseph before. Mm-hmm. So what's your philosophy on developing a great culture at your company? So we, we have a, a unique experience because obviously we have our employees that, that hopefully are going to be with us for a long period of time, but we also have 
125 students that come in every year and and disrupt or change or, or give us another opportunity to kind of t- do a reset. Yeah. And those those students are also our employees because we have an employee service company that sends these employees out to work every day. And so it, it's a challenge every every year to kind of uh, recalibrate in in September, right? Uh, a month or so after these students have been on board and say, okay, how are we doing? Uh, because we want everybody to be in tune with our mission, which and our mission is is to to make a difference in the lives of these students so that they become men and women for and with others. I mean, that's what we're not interested in having these kids go out and make millions of dollars. We're interested in these kids go out and make a difference in their community for the long haul. And so, so that's what we're trying to instill on them is that they have a responsibility to give back to their community. And so we want all of our employees to feel that, to feel that if we help these students get on to a, to a great college experience, have a tremendous work experience, they're going to be able to make a difference in their community. And if that's, if that's our shared objective and we understand what the shared objective is and what each of our individual roles are in achieving that, that we're going to have a solid culture. Right. So you're technically hiring 125 new people every year. That is correct. How do you go about finding the ones who have shared values? I mean, because that's really hard. I mean, it's easy to test for technical skills, relatively easy. But the values part, at least for most of the CEOs that are listening, are the, is the, the one that's more subtle. So how do you find the students or the employees that have the same values that you have. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a, a, a blessing or, or a curse, but we're hiring 14 year olds uh, and 14 <laughs> year olds tend to be pretty honest. You know, they haven't quite learned that there's certain things you're supposed to say or not say in an interview. And so, so we actually interview every one of our students. So we, we talk to their previous teachers in, in middle school. Uh, we do some testing to find out what their skill sets are. Unfortunately, the reality is many of our students that come to us are behind because they academically behind because they did not have such a great elementary or middle school experience. Mm. And so we require that you at least be at the sixth grade level when you're entering into ninth grade. We feel we can close that gap, a a two or three year gap. But beyond that, we don't feel we can close that gap in the high school experience. But the last thing we do is an interview with our students. And so when we sit down and interview the students, we're looking to see whether or not the student themselves is committed to making a difference in their lives. It's great if mom wants to make sure that that student succeeds, but mom's not going to do the homework. Mom's not going to get up at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning to make sure that they're at school on time. Mom's not going to be the one who's going to go to work every day and, or, or at least one day a week and have a pleasant attitude and really make a contribution to the company. So we're looking to make sure that the student is interested in doing the full range of the experience that Crystal Ray has to offer. And if we can, if we sense that from the student, then that's the kind of student we want in our program. Another question that I think is really important because STEM, you know, the, the lack of STEM talent is becoming more and more acute as the years pass in the United right. States. How do you take somebody who comes in at a sixth grade level supposed to be in ninth grade and get them to be interested in and even um, good at something related to STEM, which is typically you know, people are scared of math and science, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of answers to that question, but our students, it's not that they're not intelligent. It's that they haven't had a good environment in which to learn. 
And so we're creating an unbelievably good environment for them to learn. And sure, we've got some gaps to make up, but the technology that's available to us now allows us to accelerate that makeup time. We have computer programs that identify where you're weak, weak in math and, and English and other activities. And then we can just target in uh, with your particular area of weaknesses, the things you didn't learn that you were supposed to have learned in middle school and, and help you to, to re-experience and to actually learn and to master those, those components of, of geometry or algebra or, or English or whatever else. We also are, are blessed in that we are very close to the Georgia Tech campus mm. where we're currently located. That's true. And we have 120 volunteers, tutors that come in at least once a week. And many come in multiple times during the week. And these volunteer tutors, many of which are Georgia Tech students, are fantastic with our students because they're fairly close in age to them. So our students can relate better to them uh, than they can to some of our employees. And, and so the the top, the, the the tutors and the students zero in on the areas that the, the student needs to improve upon. Uh, they work together for a period of time to make sure that they make the improvements necessary. Basically, we're using the ninth grade year to catch up what they missed in middle school and get them on a solid foundation. And then the next three years is what we're trying to do to get them ready for, to go to college. But the reality today is that the, the students that are 14, 15, their technology skills are far better than many of our of our staff, and, 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 men, and certainly mine. Uh, anytime I have a, to do a PowerPoint, I want something fancy. I call in one of the students and ask them to help me, because they're very familiar. They're very comfortable with this technology, and you know we were worried about well if they don't have internet at home. Well, that's that's not a, not a problem anymore. Many of them don't have internet at home, but you can download stuff at the school. Before you go home. Or if they have a smartphone. And they know. have a smartphone, they can go to Starbucks and just download it there. I mean, there's just so many, the, the technology is just so vastly different than it was even five years ago. So SAT scores, test scores, I mean, you're kind of early in your life, right? You're just filling in. Any data on how, on how they're doing? So we haven't started that yet because we only have beginning juniors this year. That's the, our oldest mm. class. But we will, we will be doing that this year and get that experience back. Yeah. The, the national level, so there's 32 Crystal Ray schools across the nation, and they started 20 years ago in Chicago. So we do have some national experience. And frankly, the, the students' SAT scores are not top of the line or ACT scores. They're in the 500s for the uh, SAT scores, uh, mid-20s for the ACTs, uh, which, which is respectable, uh, but it's not where you need to be in order to get into some of the elite colleges. But yet our students are getting into the elite colleges. And I think the difference between our student and a student who comes from maybe a private school uh, that has a very high SAT or ACT score, the difference between our students and that is that our students have demonstrated the grit factor. And frankly, grit that, matters. Grit really does matter. Grit matters. It matters more than anything. <laughs> Doesn't it? I, in my opinion. Running a business, yeah. like, you know, that's that what grit I look matters. for when I hire. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to grind it out. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so our students are balancing work, work in the, in the, in the workplace with, with their academic responsibility. Our students go to school, they start at 7 30 in the morning, they go to 4 30 in the afternoon, they have three hours of homework at night. Many of them are traveling more than an hour each way to get to our school. Many of them don't have the, the parental support that, that some students in private schools have. Many of them have responsibilities outside of the academic world. They have to babysit for their kids or they have to work with their, 
with their parents on their construction sites or whatever else. Our students have, have done this grit for four years. And so when the colleges are taking a look at them, they say, okay, yeah, the, the uh, academic SAT, ACT scores are not quite what we normally want, but look at this student. And this student is really working hard. If you give our students a chance, they'll succeed. Mm. That's, I think that's a really important point um, is that these kids are going to school full time. This one day that they work is in addition to a full-time school curriculum. It's not as though they're missing one day of school to go to work. That that time is completely made up because these kids work so long, um, you know, at, at yeah. the school. It's an elongated, elongated day of school when they're in the school. Um, so this one day at work is actually on top of everything else. And that that alone makes these kids really special. The fact mm-hmm. that they're willing to invest so much of their own, their own time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've really got to want it. Yeah. Rebecca, though, I'm going to ask a, a kind of tough question because sure. in, in math, you know, getting the answer right kind of matters, right? Yes. If you're a math, engineering, science. And so if they're not technically as capable, you know, not great with the SAT scores, how, I mean, how do you rationalize that if they can't actually do, you know, and forgive me, Bill, they can't actually do the yeah. math? How does that work? So how it works today is in our environment, we don't have them doing advanced algorithms today, right? Yeah. But they, they will work on tools that will allow them to be successful, first of all, because technology is there. Right. And the other thing that we're trying to do with the Crystal Ray program is just ignite the fire in these kids to do something great with their lives. They may not go into STEM. Um, you know, we do other things in our organization. We provide scholarships um, for seniors that are graduating that are um, colleagues' children, candidates' children, clients' children that all can apply um, that are going into STEM education. Crystal Ray, these kids may or may not go into STEM, but what we're trying to do is ignite the fire that makes them want to succeed, um, not only in school, but in life and in either a business setting or whatever they choose to do. So they're contributing members of society long-term and that they then raise families who are contributing. This is a building, it's a, this is a long view. And um, so, and and I think that's, that's part of the challenge as business leaders. Sometimes we say, if this doesn't, this doesn't help me in this quarter or in this month or in this fiscal year, I'm not committing to it. I think that you have to have a balance as a leader in the community between what you can affect today Mm. and what you're doing today. That's going to affect five, 10 years from now, a generational impact that you not only as your business, but as your community of colleagues can have on our community. Mm. One of the things we try to do is help our students appreciate that they don't need to know everything. But what they do need to know is what they know and what they don't know. And they also need to have the Mm. confidence to be able to ask other folks to help them out where they're they're deficient. Mm -hmm. And so teamwork is a, a critically important piece of what's happening in the business environment today. And our students learn that from the time they're 14. They're really working on it. Before we send our students out to work, we go through a two-week business training program to make sure that they have at least the beginnings of the skill sets that they're going to need in the workplace. But then we reinforce it all year long, plus the companies are reinforcing it. Teamwork is critically important. You don't have to know anything anymore. There's there's so much access of information available. As long as you have the confidence Mm. to say, "I, I, I don't know this, help me figure it out. People are more than willing to help you. Now let's talk technically about Crystal Ray and how the program works. So give us a little bit more detail on uh, the students and how they come into Crystal Ray and your sponsors. If somebody listening, somebody listening that's really inspired and it's like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. How do they go ahead and do it? So for, for the companies, we're, we got about another four weeks before we start the program. So right after Labor Day, 
our students will go out to, to intersect in the other 91 companies that are providing jobs for our students. And for every day during the week, from Labor Day until Memorial Day, so during the school year, a different student will show up. Four students job share, and a regular student shows up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then Monday they rotate who actually comes to the workplace. But the company gets that full-time equivalent mm-hmm. uh, coming to their workplace. And, and the students do the, the kind of work that, that uh, we've talked about, and, and they do it with enthusiasm. You know, they're, they, they really are excited to be in the workplace and they really want to make Isn't a Isn't that great, Rebecca, to have an enthusiastic employee? It is. <laughs> and, and that enthusiasm fuels other colleagues, right? Because the, there's something recently, I just read an article about having childcare in senior care environments, ah. right? And blending those two. I'm not suggesting that I have senior employees, but, <laughs> but that blend is, it's just exciting to see a young person take such interest in their future. And to know that you can impact that as a colleague, it's fun. Yeah. And we we sort of have a play hard, work hard environment anyway. So, um, you know, they're going to enjoy yeah. some exposure to to, to fun environment, which, um, you know, our colleagues like to have fun. So we're excited about it. And I, I think the other thing with the students is that just building the curriculum for them, because we're considering it a work curriculum. Right. Um, we've been actively engaged in building our work cu- curriculum for about 30 days. And we have another meeting next week. And it's it's a colleague meeting to kind of say, okay, what have we built out so far? And, and is this work that they can really do and feel successful? Because our, what we've tried to say is, all right, it's got to be it's got to be meaningful work. It has to contribute to our business and it has to help the student feel successful mm. so they can accomplish something and gain in their confidence, yeah. right? Gain more confidence. And that's sort of been our, our mantra with the curriculum. Getting the colleagues to think that through and be engaged in that process alone has been beneficial for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of millennials on my team and we all talk about what it's like to lead millennials. They want to be involved in their community and have have the opportunity to make a difference every day and work with their friends. And this is, it's a very engaging activity to work with students of this age. Yeah. I interrupted you, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you were talking about the enthusiastic student shows up five days a week. Exactly. And so if, if companies are out there and listening to this program and they want to participate, we would be thrilled to have that conversation with them and get them lined up. Because as Rebecca mentioned, uh, we have more students than we anticipated having and part of it is, is that our, our employees, our, our, our faculty and staff truly want to make a difference in the lives of these students. And so when you see some of the situations that these students come from, it's hard to say, we don't have any room for you. Mm-hmm. And so we're always taking that one or two extra. And well, this year maybe got out of hand a little bit. And we took a few more extra. We took almost 20 more students okay. than we originally anticipated. And Have so you that's, heard that, listeners? We're looking for places for t- five Five, five more. more jobs. We need five more jobs. Five more jobs. Five more companies. Okay, great. But but these really are, are great students. They, they, they do want to make a difference in their own lives. And, and we talk to them about the fact that they are the brand. They are the brand for Crystal Ray School. They, we dress them. Uh, they come out to school in a blazer, uh, in a tie. Uh, they look pretty sharp when they come to the workplace. In fact, they look better dressed than nearly every other employee <laughs> in the workplace. But, That's really difficult on a hot 90. Oh, no, 90. No, we do have a summer uniform. Okay. So for the first couple of months, we, we <laughs> they go in uh, the polo shirts. We also tell them that they're their own brand. They're their brand for who they are as an individual. And part of what we're trying to do is to say, this is your opportunity to go to the workplace and go and have a four-year experience. Usually we send them to four different companies. 
But can you imagine a student who go, is now applying for college and has spent a year working at Coca-Cola, Intersect Group, Delta, and UPS? I mean, yeah. no, that's the kind of resume that the, some of these students are going to have by the time they uh, graduate from this four-year experience. And we think that will equip them well for the future. Great, 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 great. So in closing, tell us a little bit about like your new your new building. And uh, Rebecca will ask you about new stuff happening, at, happening at, at Intersect as well. But tell us about your new building. We knew when we moved into the existing building, the Archdiocese of Atlanta gave us the old uh, office building for the Archdiocese in Midtown Atlanta, a block away from the Fox Theater. We knew when we moved into it, it, it only had capacity for three, three grades of students, three classes of students. So we've been looking for a new location pretty much since the day we moved in. But we wanted to have a location that was on the Marta line because our students come from 11 different counties. So we're a regional school and students have to get there on their own. We don't provide transportation. And so Marta is a, is a critical factor in, in getting to the, uh, to the school. And by the way, Marta is one of our corporate sponsors this that's year. Great. We're very excited about so that. So you have students working at Marta? We do. Oh, that's exciting. It's going to be really exciting. <laughs> so, that must be easy for them to get to, to, get exactly to work. Exactly right. Exactly right. They're all on Marta lines. <laughs> uh, so, so we've been looking for this location and didn't really find anything that made sense. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, uh, a guy named Jim Cumming decided that he wanted to pay back for the Jesuit education experience he had received decided to donate a downtown office building to us. So we now are the proud owner of a 70,000 square foot office building wow. in downtown Atlanta. On a Marta line. On a Marta line, Peachtree Center Station, uh, near the Hilton Hotel. And we are literally in the process of renovating that building right now. And then we're going to uh, build a, a platform for which we'll park underneath. And on top of the platform, we'll build a gym. And so when, when we're finished, we'll have about 90,000 square feet 70,000 of classroom space and 20,000 of gym space on, on the campus in uh, downtown Atlanta. And that will be our permanent home for the next 50 years or more. Yeah. When's opening day? When do you actually move in? Or We will be moving in on July 17, 2017. Exciting. Exciting. A little, little under a year. Yep. And Rebecca, what's new and exciting happening at the Intersect Group that you think our, our middle market CEOs, listeners out there would be interested in knowing? Yeah, I think we continue to invest. So they'd be interested in knowing that I have great confidence in the current economy and we're continuing to grow our capacity to serve. So we provide consulting and staffing solutions. So we continue to invest in our own colleagues that are expert consultants in either finance, accounting, or IT. And so for us, that's an important message in that um, if I have confidence in the economy, they should, right? So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we've been doing some acquisitions and mergers and acquisitions in our space mm. are up 35% in wow. 2015. I think the second message there is other companies are interested in our space and in continuing to invest. Um, so we recently expanded into Charlotte in January, and that's a growing market for us. Um, we have other areas that we serve, but so that, that's a growth thing that allows us to be more of a regional provider in the Southeast. Many of the firms that we actually serve here in Atlanta are doing business in Charlotte. Um, and that's been helpful. And then the other area that we're starting to serve more and more is the CMO within our organizations, mm. our clients. And that's because more and more of the IT technical spend or resource requirements are really shifting over because of digital over to the CMOs. And so we're starting to provide more and more resources um, to those CMOs in, within Atlanta. What kind of placements would you do for a CMO? 
everything from like a user experience expert for technology, um, somebody that is developing an iOS or Android mobile uh, applications, other other types of analytical work that, for example, marketing automation. So sometimes all of those emails that you receive that seem like they've just been tailored to you, um, those are using creepy. technical. I know it is a little creepy, creepy right? They're using um, <laughs> tools like Marketo and Eloqua and other technical tools in order to drive that content to you. So those are the types of roles that we're filling now um, from a from the CMO perspective or the chief marketing perspective. That's fun. Great. Yeah. A lot of growth going on. Yeah. So growth for at least the next couple of years. Yeah, and then, absolutely. Then we'll, then and maybe we'll see. more. I'm just, yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't have the whole crystal ball thing yeah, going on. Okay. But from what we're hearing from our clients, we're very optimistic that 2017 is going to be as strong as this year. Well, thank you both for an amazing show. And thank, thank you, you listeners for participating. So if people want to get in touch with you, Bill, for example, if they hear and they're like, I want to do this, I want to have a, st- uh, a Crystal Ray student at my, my company, how do, they, how do they get in touch with you? Well, the easiest way is to go on our website, which is uh, crystalrayatlanta.org. And then there's contact information there. And we'd be thrilled to talk to you. And there, then if there's a CMO listening who wants a user experience person, <laughs> there you go, www.theintersectgroup.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much for Thank a great you. show. Thank, Thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.